Hello and welcome to Sophist Symposium. We're your hosts. I'm Doug Daffin. I am Chris Spenderman, and once again, we've got a guest for you tonight. Kyle, why don't you tell us a couple things across yourself? Well, I'm Kyle. I have a background primarily in math, and I have unfortunately dabbled in some liberal arts topics, <laughs> which is where I find myself tonight. Yeah, unfortunately, you wrote back into it. But I feel like what you do is so out there in the world of math that we're almost wrapped back around into like high theory, highfalutin, liberal arts, college stuff. Yeah, we're brought together by that love for just arguing for the sake of arguing. <laughs> Without what type of math do you do? I studied pure math. So, theory. Just all proofs and theorems. Okay, and, that's interesting. I learned about that in a cursory way um, in undergrad. And I think theories are really cool. <laughs> Theories yeah. generally are really cool. Yeah, in, in math and in life. <laughs> Just generally speaking. Yeah. All right. Um, so tonight's drink, uh, we have two. We have New Belgium Fat Tire, which is sort of like the entry craft beer, I think. Um, and then we also have a Return of the Devil's Backbone. Return of the Devil's Backbone. And uh, one correction I want to say is that, well, we were trying to place the Devil's Backbone last time we yeah. had it. We... We did not have it right. It's like south of Austin. Oh, my God. That's yeah, we really were saying it was like an El Paso or some <laughs> shit, right? Well, we said it was somewhere out in West Texas, and then we yeah. clowned on Texas for like a solid five minutes. Right, and then it. we said, you know what? When you get there, you know. And then that's the last <laughs> thing you know is actually the way we finished that joke. And it turns out that it wasn't even that far away. Yeah, so oh that's our God. drinks for the night tonight. Um, um, what do you want to say? Because I had this whole thing, man, about Devil's Backbone. Oh, go and for everything. it. Well, no, I already said it, right? I said it for hedonism that episode. So I want, I want to hear what you have. Is there anything about New Belgium? You just like it? I like it, um, and just that it's the entry level craft beer. It's like the Argyle sweater of craft beers. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> On another night, I would have to take a drink right now because I have no idea what you just. Um, the Argyle sweater idea is like when someone gets into fashion, like immediately uh, they'll buy an Argyle sweater. Because they don't know, like, what fashion is, but they want to be fashionable. And that's, like, fashion to the un unknowing, I okay. guess. All right. What's well, Okay, cool. Well, I, listen, I'm endeavoring to keep this conversation as light, happy, and optimistic as possible. Because of the topic tonight. <laughs> the topic tonight is kind of rough. And uh, Kyle and I just came from a 100-year fraternity reunion where we heard a little excerpt of a story by one of our alums who was there on the day of the tower shooting, the most devastating moment in our university's history. Um, our listeners already know that we are UT students. And it got me thinking, unfortunately, about the fragility of civilization. So we're going to talk about that tonight. Our two rules for the night are, rule number one, day after tomorrow, any references to disaster movies is going to net a drink. Rule number two, don't jinx it. Any comment whatsoever, and I'm going to be listening. I'm going to be looking for it. Any comment whatsoever that goes to the likelihood of events is going to net a drink. So with that being said, unless anyone else has any housekeeping. Um, I do want to apologize for some of the quality on our audio here. Um, I'm, I have no clue what I'm doing when I audio edit and I'm doing it anyways because we're too broke to, uh, hire a real editor. So I'm sorry for your ears, people. Yeah, we do. Um, we appreciate you listening anyways. We do really appreciate you listening. By the way, shout out, uh, Sam, 
thank you so much for listening to our show. Uh, we really appreciate it. And by the way, anyone listening, if you want a shout out, all you have to do is tell me you listen to the show because you're getting shouted out on the show. Um, whether you like it or not, to be perfectly honest, uh, still tell me if you listen to the show. That's nice for us, for our sake. Um, we are newly on iTunes. That's exciting. oh yeah, that is a start, and we have we're we're legit now. We're yeah, we uh, for given value of legit. I mean, we're on iTunes. Hey, hey, mathematician, what's the given value of legit? Mm, I'd say we made it. We All right, it. we made it. Kyle is also in the we now, so this is <laughs> this is killer. This is how, by the way, this is how you roll in somewhere. This is how you uh, act for the job you want, right? You just show up as a guest, and you're like, "We're doing good." <laughs> Our show, it's really the tops. Um, okay, the fragility of civilization. So it strikes me. I was listening to this history podcast. It's Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, and I recommend it to anybody who enjoys history or any subject matter related to history because that man can really tell a story. And one of the things he talked about in the context of the First World War is this thing I had never really thought about before, which is when we talk about existential threat, we mean more than one thing by that. There's the kind of existential threat where we're literally talking about the species being wiped out. This is the kind of thing like nuclear war or a virus that just gets out of hand and we're all dead. But there's a second category of existential threat, and it's just getting knocked down off the rungs of the civilizational high that we've been on for, well, it defines our species, doesn't it? So first question to you two guys. In each of your mind, what do you think is the most, what are you most afraid of? What do you think is the most likely thing that would knock away the civilization that we hold so dear in our hearts as a a species? What have you All right, I'll go first. Um, So one of the things about history that I've learned while I studied it, um, is that when we study history, we tend to categorize things as like specific events and we kind of put them all into one idea. So the fall of Rome uh, or the Renaissance, like those are, sure, those are ideas that we have that like, if you were in the Renaissance, you would know you were in the Renaissance or if you were in the fall of Rome, like it happened. But yeah, that that's the problem is that's a, that's a very cursory view of history True. because like the Renaissance spans two centuries. Like you could ask someone um, besides Leonardo da Vinci, like, are we in the Renaissance? And they just ask, what the hell are you talking about? Because we're looking backwards at it or the fall of Rome. It didn't happen just like Rome being built. It didn't happen overnight. Um, so I would have to say that I don't think, I don't expect like a disaster level event. I expect sort of a fade Sure. Well, well, let me let me ask you two things. So the first thing is, I'm interested what sort of fade or the cause of such for, sort, sort of fade that you would say. But I also want to rehabilitate my point a little bit, because while you're right that a person in the Renaissance wouldn't be able to say, I'm in the Renaissance, nor would a person in the so-called fall of Rome be able to track it, you would notice the day that the, the sacred city of the Seven Hills gets sacked by barbarians. And on that day, you would really feel like, you know, it's a famous saying, Rome is burning. And that's meant to indicate, how could this happen? And people living in that time would also think, 
okay, I understand that trends and factors are happening, but oh my God, Rome is burning. You see what I mean? Right. And, and in the same way, you know, I, I, I listen to a podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I didn't listen to any. Well, not even ours. Not <laughs> even ours. Out. Um, that's actually true, by the way, Kyle. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm the only one who listens to our show uh, in this well, room so far. All right. Well, he'll listen to his feature at least. Um, <laughs> There, there are accounts, for example, that people living in uh, Constantinople would be able to tell you that in the course of their lifetime, grain shipments from Egypt collapsed over the course of whatever amount of years. And they would have been able to say, no, we're seriously living in some shit times and I'm worried about where food is coming from and the empire is falling apart. So with those two kind of points out there, what what do you think is like the the causation you're most afraid of. All right. So then I would say that instead of a disaster, like to get this party started, sure. Um, movies like 2012, 2012. Okay. That's a drink <laughs> day after tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, shoot. Any zombie movie. Okay. Well, let's well, we name one. Evils. Yeah. Dawn of the devil, <laughs> Dawn of the dead, etc. Okay. So, you're, you're saying instead of, year. yeah, 28 days later, <laughs> 28 weeks later, hang on a second. Um, instead of, instead of some disaster, like everyone, uh, okay. Or a series of disasters. I'd say that really what would like the, the way we'd lose our civilization is simply running out of resources and it'd be the point at which, um, we, we've exhausted so many of the readily available resources that to acquire more resources, we'd have to spend, like, we'd have, to acquire one resource, we'd have to spend two resources. I see. You know, at, or even 1.01 resources, or like a level, a level where it takes more energy to gain a single bit of energy. I'm curious, I want to jump in on this. What do you, maybe I'm naive, but, you know, of our, Many resources, like which ones in particular do you fear that would occur with first? Um, I, I honestly, I can't say an order, but I could say an order of magnitude, um, which ones would be the most dangerous. And that's, that's water, um, energy. Okay. And this isn't specific order, but these are the high listers, water, energy, food, um, because, and, and for those, like, we we use a tremendous amount of fresh water. We do. Um, and to, to purify water, like, to desalinize water, if we wanted to go that far, it takes a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, also, mm. when we produce food, we kind of, we suck up a lot of nutrients from the land, and we don't necessarily put those back. Um, so those are, those are worrisome, especially in not as developed countries or in areas where people are just trying to make a load of money. Um so I, I would say that those three are really the salient resources that we're looking at. Okay. Are you familiar with the concept of a Malthusian disaster? Um, I know about Malthus, but I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about. It's what you just yeah. described. Uh, a Mal- Malthus was a, was a thinker who basically – he sort of um, was the original, I guess, climate change uh, – Scientist. I mean, what he basically did was way, 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 way back when, different crisis, food crisis. He basically ran all the numbers and said, at the current rate, this was like 150 years ago, at the current rate of civilizational growth in terms of population, 
and the amount of arable land that we can estimate on the planet and reasonably foreseeable increases in crop growth, we will not be able to feed everybody and we're going to starve to death. I mean, I do have a modest proposal about that. Okay, we're going to get to that in the middle because I want to hear from Kyle, <laughs> who has been waiting so patiently to give his idea. What are you worried about? What's, what is the end of the world scenario civilization-wise for you? You know, I... I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about the end of the world, thankfully. You must sleep well. Better than me. <laughs> well, that's the effort, you know? It's, there's, a, there's enough to think about on a daily basis that stresses you out. But the end of the world, I think, I think my concerns are more uh, dealing with disease and some kind, you know, our best antibiotics have already been beaten. I mean, I'm, I'm waiting for, well, no, I, I fear um, a time when some kind of epidemic breaks out that we have all, you know, in our lifetime, none of us are that old. We're all, well, maybe our listeners are, I don't know. But we're all thinking, you know, like, we heard about polio. We heard about black plague. We heard about terrible things. But we we just got to feel like that's in the past. That can't, that can't happen today. We, we have scares. But they never really reach us, at least here in the United right. States, in our text, whatever. You know. Can't happen birth. today. Yeah. Can't happen today. That's, that's yeah. rule number two broken. But go on. And yet, that's. That's what I'm afraid is going to happen. One of these days, we're going to be blindsided with, oh, wait, uh, this is actually happening to us. This is um, a spread of some strain of some virus that I didn't think would happen and never have considered the likeliness of or how to deal with it. And so I think, I don't know, that's that's my um, that's my scare. It's a okay. medical thing. Now, see, here's the thing that I wanted to address both of y'all on because – what, what I sort of mentioned with Malthus is that we have to recognize that you each have your own sort of thing that when you think about it, it's like, yeah, here's what I'm concerned about. And people all over the world and the highest levels of decision making are concerned about similar things. But, you know, bless you, Doug. <laughs> None of these things have ever happened, right? And I don't mean to say that as like a snide comment about you know, oh, you know, nobody should ever stress. But I bring up comments like the Malthus thing because there have been significant fears in the past that have been at the level of or above any of the concerns we have today about a super virus or about, you know, nuclear running devastation. A, I'm sorry? Nuclear devastation. Well, the thing about nuclear devastation is that's type one uh, existential threat. And I really want to talk about type two because okay. the special thing about type two is it's a unique fear for our species. I don't think any other species on the planet worries about its level of – well, no one else has a civilization. That's sort of the special thing about the human being. We're not that much smarter than – well, whales and dolphins are apparently similarly smart to us, right? They don't build civilizations. We do. And we're really terrified by the loss of our civilizations, right? That's something that is one of the greater concerns that we have as a species. So, but isn't it interesting that none of these fears, no matter how well-founded, ever seem to come to pass? I mean, why do you think that is? Um, I think we find ways to avoid it, uh, for the most part. I mean, even type 1 fears... Um, we certainly had a Cold War, but aside from the two atomic bombs we dropped on Japan, um, there haven't been any other used in warfare. Um, I, I think 
that because we fear those things so much, we find ways to avoid them. Um, also, like our technology improves at a rate we don't really expect. Like no one, um, and, and it's funny because we have expectations of technology that are interesting, like uh, the Jetsons being set in 2001. <laughs> And it's like we were we were so far off. Two thousand one. Yeah. Wow. And and we were so far off on things like that, but we were so far ahead of what they expected in communications and like we have the internet and that's not something that that was in the Jetsons. Like no one had iPads or smartphones. That's true. Right. Well, here's the thing, and you brought up twenty twelve or um even and and just continuing on that because it's poignant. Um. Star Trek had like iPads, yes. but you had to physically <laughs> deliver the iPads information <laughs> to other people. You couldn't so email right. a document, and just You're wireless so communication right. flew over people's heads. Yeah, um, yeah, that's this, a great point. Yeah, because like, well, some of it made sense because like the Enterprise would be outfitted with basically a copy of the internet because. Obviously, they couldn't communicate back with Starfleet HQ all the time about Wikipedia requests. But you're right. In every other way, they basically were inane. They had to deliver iPads to one another with information. Yeah. So they had, like, video screens, and we have that now. But, you know, it's it's weird. Like, we can't expect technology is the thing. Like, it it always goes in a direction that's beyond our expectations. Well, okay. Well, we'll talk about that in the middle. Kyle. What do you think? Why do you think that that Category 2 civilizational disasters have not befallen the species in, like, I don't know what we could call a real... Maybe the Black Plague was. Maybe it did knock us down a few rungs. But that was basically the last time. For about a thousand years. I mean, okay, so what kind of comes to mind is the oh, effect of... Ignore the Native Americans... They were probably suffering from an actual category. Yeah, they, yeah. they probably yeah. actually had. Yeah, they were dealing with might be actually like ec- like well, life I, existential. I mean, I yeah. yeah. Now, what are these categories? Okay, let me. And be I'm sorry to much more clear. No, yeah, 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 you're right. Um, let me be more clear. Category one existential threat is the human species is under threat. Category two existential threat is. Hey, you know, all of the comforts and all of the expectations we have about our level of progress, civilizational highs, technological prowess, and ability to live comfortably on our planet, say goodbye to that. Basically, you know the old term, bomb someone back to the Stone Age? That's what we're talking about. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we are still here. But it's unrecognizable. So would you say, like, the fall of Rome was a Category 2? Many people would consider the fall of the Roman Empire to be a Category 2 disaster in Europe. Because um, it was like the light switched off in Roman provinces. Suddenly, there was no one around who knew how to repair the aqueducts. There was no one around who knew how to run the local sewage or do agriculture. There was no one there who understood how to repair, maintain, and hold the frontier. It was like the lights went out in the British territory, the the, Fran- the, the Gallic territory in modern-day France. That's what we're talking about. You see what I mean? So, Kyle. Well, yeah, so with that in mind, 
what comes to mind is sort of okay. So the question is, why do we not fear that happening? Why does it not or? happen? For almost a thousand years, it hasn't happened. Okay, two simple points come to mind. Um, the first being kind of the people who work behind the scenes at all times that we never really consider. There are people who work day and night that we don't hear about whose jobs are kept secret intentionally or otherwise, or just, Ooh, you know, not the lizard people, the lizard the, people. <laughs> sure. Yes. Um, but you know, yeah, people whose job is, well, part of their job is to stay out of the limelight. You know, anybody who's trying to ensure, uh, either the maintenance or the downfall of foreign governments or intelligence, something you don't hear about what they do. And there are people who work all the time to ensure that, we don't find out about some crisis that might have been threatening our civilization or country. And when their job is done well, the, the, it reflects in that we don't ever hear about it. You know what I'm talking about? Those. Are you talking that... about basically Y2K? What do you mean? Well, Y2K is an example of something that everyone thought was coming. Like, a, you know, it was really a Category 2 concern. People were talking about... Are y'all both reasonably I'm really surprised they didn't make a yes. movie about Y2K. Yeah, the, the entire digital system would not be ready for it when collapse. Right? right, because basically all machines prior to the year 2000, the way they kept time just didn't have the memory yeah. sufficient to get past 1999. And when it would hit 2000, the fear is it would stack overload, re- um, blow back to zero, and that that zero would not just affect the time keep for year, but would also affect other numbers, like for example, bank numbers, yeah. or account numbers, or stock market prices, or a hell of a, a lot of other things. And at that point, even in '99, were being kept digitally, but it was fine, right? I mean, the world didn't end, clearly. The year 2000 yeah. came and went. I remember being up really late. I didn't stay up late enough because I was, what, seven, six or seven yeah. years old when it was the midnight on uh, New Year's Eve 2000. But nothing happened, right? And I knew, and, and to your point, Kyle, I had a teacher in high school who professed to be one of the people who stayed up all through the night and through the morning adjusting things on the fly, live fixing Y2K so that it went as smoothly as it did. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But, and, and she was like, listen, I was a low-level gal. Like, I, I was just there in a pot of people just fixing shit as it came in. It wasn't that big a deal. We just did it. Yeah. So. No, so I, I think I was more than to just, you know, so that was a that was an expected crisis. A lot of the population was worried that Y two K would be some huge crash. I'm more alluding to well, I guess the things that we don't think about or hear about the, the certain a threat that may be imminent right now as we speak that we have no idea about. Mm-hmm. Somebody's job, somebody thankfully probably working in CIA or some intelligence related position is trying to prevent that right now to ensure our safety. There are crises like that. There are people. Who are, whose job it is to ensure that we do not face those, that we don't ever encounter that kind of danger, that certain... Yeah, like how NASA is supposed to protect us from an asteroid. Okay. <laughs> like deep impact or, a or deep an impact apocalypse. Or apocalypse. Or apocalypse. Uh, yeah, that's what I was like. Wait, wait, not apocalypse. Armageddon. Oh, there, there, there it is. is. Yeah, Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck are up there saving our lives right now. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the other really fun one is um, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Do you all remember that movie? 
No. It was that, oh my god, Steve Carell, alright, drink for <laughs> Steve Carell, it was a comedy movie, but it's like really messed up. It's basically... I actually kind of want to see that now. It's It's good. The premise of the movie is, you know the Armageddon slash Deep Impact mission? Yeah, it failed. <laughs> oh. So we have two weeks left, and everyone knows it. And Steve Carell's mission is... I, is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Carell? Yeah. You'd have he, to ask him um, when he's a guest Let's call podcast. him up. <laughs> well, he's just in the corner the whole time. Right? <laughs> yeah. So Steve, how, how do you say it? Steve. I mean, he's so quiet. It's actually funny. There was a comedy podcast There's I used Carell. to listen to. <laughs> there was a comedy podcast I used to listen to, and their running joke is that Kobe Bryant was always a guest on the show, but he just sat quietly in the corner and wouldn't say anything. Anyway, no, no, so Steve Carell's mission was to link back up with an old lover that he never really figured out what happened to, but everyone else in the show is obviously losing their mind, so, like, you, the, the civilization goes through these, these, um, these stages of, like, well, hedonism, or ultra-religion, or, oh, you know, we have to, like, any number of things that they're just trying to knock off their list before the end, which is imminent. And the movie ends with the end of the world. It's it's poignant stuff. It's actually a really powerful movie. It's very well done. I would recommend it. I'll have to see it. Anyway, to move on with our discussion, um, let me poise this to you. Hang on. About the last question, though, I do want to make a point. Is yes, that. Sir. Um, maybe we only, like, maybe the premise of your question is wrong, because I feel like we don't think that a Category 2 um, existential crisis has happened to us because we're Americans. Yeah. But okay. in, in other countries, certainly, uh, things have come close or even happened. If you look at uh, the recent crisis that's happened in Venezuela... Um, that's certainly close to a category two yes, problem. Yeah, that is that is fair. Um, and because, then, yeah, that's even the context of which you know civilization as a whole, like humanity, yeah, worldwide, and, and that's true. Kind of what I was trying to indicate with the Roman uh, Empire example is, yeah, I mean, I guess you can argue that that's a one civilization problem, but when Roman influence disappears from Europe, Europe is fucked. You know what I mean? Like, it isn't just, like, the people of the Gallic territories feel frustrated. It's like an entire lamp of civilization has gone out, and you see what I mean? Like, this is more than just a tsunami blows through. You know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's kind of, like, as, as a history major, I feel like it... I don't know. It doesn't sit right with me to say that, you know, the world's um, been fine because we're Americans and, like, our world's been fine. Okay. No, I mean, that's fair. Yeah. But, and, well, well, okay. Let, let's talk about, I, I know that on a certain level, yeah, if well, I shift it and say, right. let's talk about something. I mean, if you, tell, if you tell a Syrian that he's not facing a crisis right now because America's fine, like. No, you're right. No, that's fair. He, he, the Syrian is certainly in a position where it's... But here's the thing. Okay, good point. War is always a good way of looking and seeing what a Category 2 disaster looks like in the field. In this time and place in history, 
Category 2 disasters based on war are relatively limited in geographic scope, but I see what you mean. Like, in Syria, it's no joke. They are dealing with what we could call a, a, a Category 2 yeah, disaster. Yeah. It's just that war, for whatever reason, seems so different than a resource disaster I mean, or I oil guess, war. Well, I guess, like, yeah, you caused it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, I guess you cat too, the, way, the way we can kind of describe the difference is that Syrians have a place to go, or they try to anyways like there we have refugees you can escape to, yeah I you can you escape yeah. um a category two disaster on the magnitude i think you're thinking of is one where your country's shit and there's nowhere to go because all countries are shit right yeah yeah, yeah. so here's the thing right like well, i'm still waiting just to throw this in. i'm waiting for 2056 because if y'all remember the terminator movie series oh. the year in which that it's all Skynet's gonna. That's is that twenty fifty six? Because that's really interesting. Hang on, would Mitch- Terminator count as a disaster? One of the Terminators. Oh, oh it's a hundred percent. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Dude, of course, people are still there, but haha, have fun. I guess Skynet yeah. took over the planet. That's a category two disaster. Um, no, no, no. Like I, I, I am really interested in this because let's shift over to. The very topic about which, what I said earlier, Dan Carlin was talking about when he first discussed this Category 2 disaster. He was talking about World War One, and he was talking about, because at the time, you had people living in an age that they couldn't even believe the progress that had happened, right? Like, industries had emerged that had basically removed man from, I mean, what do we live with every day? Man is basically removed from nature. We we are beyond our own biology. We hardly have to fend for ourselves at all. All of the evolutionary... For ourselves, we hardly have to ever stand on our feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True that, Kyle. I mean, we're literally like... If you think about all the evolutionary traits of our biology and think how much any of it is necessarily used, it's completely yeah. different from any other... Yeah. And these things were happening in the early 20th century to the point where the average person in any country could tell you... It's crazy what I can buy at a supermarket mm-hmm. or at a grocery store. I can get anything. I can get days. a pineapple. Yeah. Yeah. When it's completely not the season for it. Yeah. yeah. I can buy what I need. I don't have to get anything. Right. And so people were really at the time thinking about a general European war. What could it mean? And one of the things they were worried it could mean was literally like, Hey, uh, those those beautiful boulevards, the Champs Elysees in in Paris, or you know the crowned heads of Europe, or the states themselves as states, the government, everything else. Yeah, just say goodbye to that. That's kind of what I'm talking about, right? It's like that was the category two disaster they were worried about. Is that they might get literally bombed back to the Stone Age? That they may have another the Roman Empire isn't here anymore moment, and provinces of France are like, yo, uh, we we don't know how electricity works anymore. It might get that bad. You know what I mean? Um, one of the things I'd like to add, actually, to my answer earlier about why um, a Category 2 disaster hasn't happened is that we don't live in sort of a monopolar world like the Roman Empire was, um, in that we're kind you of... Know? We're kind of globalized, and it's like if America falls, there's still all those European countries. Like if any individual, even 
or if any okay. individual European country falls, there's still the rest of the world. Like it would require sort of every country to kind of fail at the same time. Right, yeah, like and that's and that's almost a category one disaster. It almost is. But let me give this to you. I think we do have a single pole world, and I think the proof of that is. A lot of people, I think, rightfully assume that if America just went dark tomorrow, tanks are rolling over the border in like half the countries of the world, I think, within a day. Just because of all of the things that the United States personally assures the security of. Right, but how, how, how much of Europe would be fine? How much of Europe does Russia want? <laughs> And I mean that as a legitimate question because at, at a certain point, I mean, Eastern, we think of it as a joke, right? And it's right. a ha like likelihood of the disaster. I'm going to take it. But like even, yeah. but even Russia. But there's a reason why the Eastern European states, regardless of their size or support from other European nations, are fucking scared as shit about Russia at their gates. Because Russia has always had an incredibly tank armored heavy military force that likes to hang out at the borders and just sort of point its turrets in places yeah and they could blitzkrieg with a backwards czar but <laughs> <laughs> okay but um i mean i i consider russia civilized to some extent <laughs> yes but yeah. and the okay, thing actually, is like i don't think it'd no, be a category two disaster because i think russia would be considered a civilization so now that you've said that i mean well, okay i feel like we're mixing two points here though like you were questioning okay i want to compare doug's uh, he had a good point with uh, what i want to compare to you know the, the invention of the internet was to prevent some kind so it was a military you know project and it was how do we create many nodes such that if one node falls the whole system doesn't fall down and that's what he's great you know it would take a lot for the whole world to fall into this Category 2 situation just because one country did. And now we're kind of also talking about Russia, you know, taking over parts of Europe. But that would still, you know, if the U.S. fell and Russia took over 90% of Europe, still, though, like, we, it wouldn't – would that be a Category 2? Would we end up in a situation – we would still – the lights would still be on, but the colors of territory would be different. Okay, that's an interesting point um, because – I do wonder, right? I do wonder, even if some of the things that we worry about start to happen, how bad is it really? And this is something that I wanted to bring up to the points that we've made so far. And I'm interested in your views on this, both of you. What if what we're – Doug, you mentioned earlier, what if, what if the question's just wrong? What if our species is just wrong about the notion that we are that close to oblivion? Because – we, I think as a species, we tend to believe that we're really close to oblivion basically all the time. We're obsessed with it. I mean, there are works of, of classical literature like Lord of the Flies where we're basically saying... That's also a movie. It's yeah. also a movie. <laughs> Finish that. Okay. Um, or even modern fiction like The Hunger Games. Well, I gotta do this because Doug demanded that I have one of these. In fact, I think the words he used was... You get to double fist it, buddy. You didn't double fist. <laughs> I didn't literally double fist. Um, so, actually, I won't. You can't afford to double button. fist when the microphone and the computer need adjusting. Yeah, that's right. I'm trying to manage this. <laughs> um, okay, let me think about what I was just saying. So, what if we're just wrong 
about, okay, sorry, no, 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 back to what I was saying, actually. We're obsessed with it as a civilization. We're we're obsessed with it in terms of Lord of the Flies or... Um, Modern stuff, Hunger Games, Divergent, um, Maze Runner. Yes, all of those, all of the movies. I mean, we need we, a drink for all yes. of those. Yeah, we do. Dystopias. All these dystopias. And, 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 you know, long have we also considered, even from philosophy, philosophers, especially uh, 19th century, no, 18th century ones, talking about the state of nature and what it means and how close we are to it. I mean, Smith, Locke, Hobbes, and mm, who did the noble savage? Ray, Ray, French name. Anyway, we're all concerned with this idea of what is civilization and how does it compare to just oblivion, the state of nature, like people just as animals. What if we're just plain old mistaken about the idea that we're that close to going back to that state? I think that's very possible. I think that... uh... Evolutionarily speaking, we don't worry about things that we haven't encountered ourselves. Um, we, it's kind of like why older people and why your parents and your grandparents will warn you nonstop about things that you're like, that'll never happen. But they've seen it happen. They want you to... Cheers. <laughs> Likeliness. But, yeah, they, I mean, we just think like, well... Yeah, I know that terrible things have happened to other people at other times, but if I haven't encountered it, I don't feel like it's very likely to happen. And I think until we see a near apocalypse ourselves, we don't think that it can happen. We're obsessed, like you said, with the notion of it's an entertainment factor. And like, wow, what if my daily life at the office were interrupted by some catastrophic situation? Like, Mm -hmm. wow, I'll watch that show. That's interesting. (laughs) But we don't really think that it can happen to us when... Every generation that your parents are telling you, we are so close. We are on the brink of disaster, nuclear war, all kinds of things that we just don't really feel are that likely because we don't, we haven't encountered any bit of that. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So there might be a dichotomy there. Doug, what do you think? So I was going to save this for the end as the thing I close on that frustrates you because you want to talk about it forever. (laughs) Uh But I'll say it now since you asked directly. Okay. Um, I think that humanity secretly wants one of these Category 2 disasters. Okay. And that's why why we have all these movies, and that's why we have all these, like, survivalists who who are prepping, you know, bunkers and dried foods and stuff, Um, is simply because we want to... Like, we have this secret desire, like, the subconscious desire... Um, at least some of us do, to sort of remove society from the equation or civilization from the equation because things were a hell of a lot easier when we were simply hunter-gatherers and we didn't have to worry about things like money, um, jobs, uh, all these so- social status, like all these, all these things that turn us into anxiety-ridden um, human beings. Interesting. You know? Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, I feel like there very few people listening have not considered some kind of end of the world scenario and have some kind of zombie tower plan, you know? Yeah. Well, what about you guys? What's, and, what's your preferred civilization's collapse situation? 
Come on. I mean, Kyle, you just told me that everyone thought about it. No, I mean, I would it. love a zombie. Since I was a kid, like, zombie games and movies have been the thing. Like, I was watching my dad play Resident Evil video games before I was old enough to work a control. There was a Resident Evil movie, in fact, a slew of them. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Oh, here. Um... So I would say that zombie zombie is the, the way that I prefer. I mean, but it sounds terrible because I don't wish that on anybody. I don't want anybody to die in an apocalypse at all. But if, if one does happen, I find myself in a post-apocalyptic state. I hope it's a zombie one, and I hope they're slow, unlike 28 days and weeks later. Um, but I think a zombie tower is like what I've prepared for most in my experience. What's the original slow zombie was day, it of dawn, the day of dawn the dead? Dawn of the dead. That's right. Dawn of the dead. Yeah, there's this... Um, Cheers. There's this thing on YouTube, actually, where it's um, Dawn of the Dead, but instead of the audio from that, it's replaced by Arcade Fire of the Suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it matches up really well. I like it. I want your... What What do you want? I want to hear yours first, because I'm still thinking about mine. My... Oh, man. I'm I really mean... glad that you brought up that topic before the very end, because that would have been... Yeah, I mean, I'm looking for. We yeah, but now I can't. This. Now I can't blue brain Chris. <laughs> the thing is, we we got no. It really is yeah. like every and even here's the thing. But it isn't just me, right? Because even when Zach was here, you said something, and he and I were both like, "Come on." Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, you know, I have thought a lot about this, but I really am struck by you saying that it's. It's something that people on a certain level want because I really came into this conversation. I'm terrified by the idea that I might not have tomorrow what I have today because let's be honest, my skill set, Doug, your skill set, Kyle, to some extent, your skill set. Oh, no, I'm a survivalist. Man. Okay, Kyle's a survivalist. <laughs> Doug and I yeah, are those lawyers in training. really help. <laughs> yeah, but, but Doug and I are lawyers in training, and let's be honest, that's going to be helpful for about five fucking seconds if you don't have a social that's... structure to work with, I mean, yeah. hang on. No, we can mediate disputes between um, between people, and I think that's a super important skill in an apocalypse. Because think about The Walking Dead. Right? Okay. I was literally going to say Walking Dead. Walking yeah. Dead yeah. That counts as a film. If they had someone there to just like legit mediate their disputes, right? Yeah. How much smoother would things go? Mm. True. However, I still would have given a mediated death sentence to that one chick who doesn't know the difference between dead and alive. And but like, it. if it's if it's proper, you won't get like. No, you're right. Yeah, it's just the problem is the second you said that, instead of going to Walking Dead, I went to The Purge, which is. <laughs> this is this. My first rule is heavy shit. Um. Anyway, The Purge is kind of what I imagine. Now. I'm sorry. It's going to create an apocalypse oh now. My oh, why God. are you doing this? <laughs> he started the show by making this drink like 40 times. Um, <laughs> this is the most aggressive I've ever seen Doug about the wolf. Um, Glad to be here. <laughs> oh, Kyle, it's a, it's a real pleasure. So the fact is that instead of thinking about like The Walking Dead, I just keep thinking about The Purge. Like my, my main concern is the second you remove all the societal rules and norms and mores and everything else, all the things that bind us together as a species is anything more than mere animals. I feel like the first second you're going to see – okay, I'm a huge fan of Rick and Morty. Right. And there's an episode in Rick and Morty that 
clowns on the purge, where they go to a planet where the purge is an institution that is long. Yeah, it's a been purge planet. It's a purge planet. As Rick puts it, as if that's like a normal thing. He's like, "Oh, it's another purge planet." Yes, yeah, so that's normal. Yeah. Um, and the the comedy comes in when I think that's season two, episode nine. Oh my god, that's so. I don't know. Fact check him. That, Fact check him. I Somebody. can't do it right now. Listeners. Um, yeah, listeners. I want Jessica. <laughs> because yeah, Jessica. Plural listeners. Jessica, Does Jessica watch Rick and no, Morty? The, the reason why I say Jessica is because Jessica fact-checked me before when I tried to assert something about art. So I'm just going to assume yeah. that she'll, she'll be on hand to do that. Anyway, barring whatever amount of time when Jessica will text me about that. Um, so the comedy of that episode was when they, as a pair, destroy the the upper rich class that instituted the Purge. And Rick's like, all right, figure it out. And their civilization has been destroyed by the Purge. So they're like, what are we supposed to do? And he's like, I don't know, just, like I said, figure it out. And then they leave. And within, like, five seconds, they're like, well, how are we going to, you know, handle our disputes, blah, 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 blah. And then they start getting angry with each other. And someone's like, guys, there's clearly a lot of aggressive feelings here. Why don't we just designate one day out of the year during which we can get all these feelings out and aggressions and we won't hold each other responsible for what we do on that. And it's like the purge just comes out of nowhere. And I guess my point in bringing that up is that I kind of do I'm a not a believer in noble savagery at all. I kind of do think that once you take away everything that holds man down to being a civilized person, you end up with a terrible, amoral, violent uh downright evil savage that will just do whatever to get whatever they want. Uh, if I could respond to that, go for it. So I'd say what we need then is people who are philosophical savages. That is to say, we develop civilization to the point, or past hunter-gatherer, uh, to the point where we have philosophy, which my old professor, um, Delfino, would always say that philosophy was the result of free time. Um, that is to say... Once, once you have enough abundance that there's some people who can just sit on their ass all day, you have philosophers. <laughs> um, and that's the way I put it, but he said something close. Well, it's lawyers are in that category right. as well. <laughs> but they yeah. are. I mean, come on. Well, we protect the right to sit on your ass. Well, let me put it this way. If you had to put together <laughs> a team of people that was like, all right, we have to put together a skeleton crew that can build a colony on, other, on another world, we're not out on that trip. I would put one lawyer in there to be a mediator, depending on how many people you can have. That lawyer better also be an engineer, is all I'm saying. I mean, uh, it'll be an IP lawyer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, we need to set up a patent system. Fuck you. We need to build habitation yeah. pods. Use your hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just send Alex Piala. Send Alex Piala to the moon. Yeah. He'd no, like it, I think. He's cool. I don't want him to go to the moon. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. we're making references to uh, law school buddies Kyle. I assumed. I who assumed. is not one of our law school friends. Yeah. So. It's kind of weird talking to someone outside of law school. I forgot how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know what? Doug is joking, but 
in a lot of ways for a lot of our colleagues. <laughs> it's not a joke. Yeah, so I guess if, if I can answer um, the what type of apocalypse I would want. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to say the one from This Is The End. Okay. So um, you want to see Jonah Hill get terrifyingly destroyed by some kind of demon? I mean, I enjoyed the movie, so <laughs> to some, like I didn't know I wanted to see that, but when the scene happened, I was laughing. Well, I thought what you meant by that was that in This Is The End, there's actually very... Like, you can find the rules of that end of the world and operate under them pretty well. And actually yeah. get yourself into heaven pretty yeah. quickly, which is dope. I mean, I'd say that's the ideal scenario because good people go to, like, literally on the off, within ten minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. I think, like, good people go to heaven. So you don't have to worry about, like, casualties that way or innocent okay. casualties. Um, and then if you redeem yourself, you also get to go to heaven, which, again, like... You know, I, I'd say, like, that's the most ideal scenario um, for an apocalypse. Mm -hmm. So I realized that I actually never really answered your question. I kind of ducked and evaded and danced away from it. What was my question know. again? Your question was, what would be my favorite, like, what's what's my favorite oh, yeah, what's end yours? of the world situation? Yeah. I didn't really know what to do with it. You know what? I think I'm going to have to go, oh, this is so tough. Do I get to decide... What my place is. Chris, we're not going to hold you to this answer. Okay. Speak freely. Yeah. I want to be out, I want to be a member of the Enclave in the Fallout universe. All right. Which is kind of a cop-out because we already agreed that nuclear war is a Category 1 disaster, but only because of the generation... I mean, I think most of the disasters we picked were Category 1. Mostly. Well, I think a zombie two. disaster is a Category 1 disaster. It is a Category disaster. 1 disaster, but... I'd say this is the end is a Category 1 disaster. Except for the fact that in all of these cases, including Fallout, there are special rules about that particular disaster situation that means humans are around. So, like, in The Walking Dead, yes, there are zombies everywhere, but let's be honest, if you're minimally competent, zombies are not that much of a threat. Like in the Walking Dead yeah. universe, And zombies, they are minimally yeah. competent. Yes. Oh, yeah. They are <laughs> truly minimally competent. Yeah. And zombies are like, they're barely a plot point. Like every once in a while, it's mostly just that the state of nature has taken over is the real plot of Walking Dead. Which, by the way, I actually really respect that about the show. Kyle? I got I gotta jump in on that. Do I don't want to talk on this topic very long, but... So I didn't actually watch Walking Dead. I watched maybe half the first season. I haven't watched later, it either. I, okay, so I saw... We're Friends all on the same page. At the, at the current time, <laughs> at that time, at present time, they were watching the season three, I think, finale, and I saw that it was seriously just human politics in a post-apocalyptic state, and zombies were an afterthought, and it was annoying to me. I was like, I like zombies. If this is a show about zombies, it better be... About zombies. Okay. But, that's, but it's accurate. It would just turn into, like, human politics and just taking your territory. Right. And, and that's why lawyers are going to be so desired in an apocalypse. Okay, right. so the governor thing. Okay, no. So you know about you the governor have He was in that, in that finale. Yeah, like, oh, and, that's, and that's what I watched as well was the whole governor arc, and that's basically it. And that was the bit of the show where I was like, this, actually, I'm behind this. I'm interested in this. Probably because I am training to be a lawyer and that's the kind of shit that I'm interested in. But, you know, um, but that's what I mean. That's a special condition about the zombie apocalypse yeah. that makes it a Category 2 disaster. In the same way that the Fallout universe is a special condition because it's not just nuclear war wipes out the species, it's nuclear war wipes out most of the species, but 
There are vaults. Yeah, I was disappointed that the governor wasn't Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> the that, governor. Can you imagine? Like, that would be the greatest. Every watcher of that series would be like, oh, fuck off. Like, <laughs> this whole thing has just been an endeavor to, to ruin my life personally. Anyway, I, I wanted to clarify really quickly. I don't just mean being in the Fallen Universe. I need to be in the Enclave. Yeah? You want to be the bad guys. I don't mean the bad guy. What I mean is the Enclave are the only people who are not in a vault to be experimented on. Everyone else is there literally for the purpose of being experimented on. Like that. So was... do you mean you want to be in the Enclave like immediately after the uh, the nuclear event? Or do you mean like... And the Enclave in 2267 or whatever oh. year Fallout set in. Because there's a, there's a big difference there's between the two. There's a huge difference. That's a very good question. I think I would want to be at the later time. And the reason why is suffering from the being someone important enough to be asked to join the Enclave gene pool means that I'm living a very good life and then I have to go underground. That sucks. Better to have been born, raised, and live in that context where super high technology, government objectives, lots of cool shit going on, vertebrates, power armor. But all that shit was around before the uh, fallout. You're right. But these other disaster situations have none of those things. <laughs> We're talking about disasters, right? I That's mean, at a certain true. point, I mean, I want my, uh, I want my president. Oh my God, what was his name? Eden. Yeah, President Henry John Eden. Henry Eden. Yeah. Do you? The greatest thing about John Henry Eden, my fellow Americans. Besides that, that bit, his jingle that rolls around. It's not the American anthem, which you would expect. It's you remember Dixie. trees? No, it's Dixie, though. Do you know that his little iBots that would control oh, yeah? Lesbian would be, be playing Dixie? Really? In D.C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, Not the, the, national South, anthem. the South will rise again. Literally the little iBots. It was my earliest because I was like, I didn't know any of this stuff. I was just a young kid. I was playing this in like, uh, well, okay, I was playing it still in the Woodlands, but that was a long time ago that I got there. And this little iBot is coming around like, And that's just, I just knew that from Fallout 3. So when I heard that, <laughs> the Dixie anthem, after that, it was like, huh? And what was funny, because it was the same experience I had, my high school anthem was, um, our official anthem for our school was the same as apparently some famous Scottish guards rifle military march song. So years later, I'm watching the movie Patton, and I'm hearing my high school fight song as they're they're marching into the streets of like Cairo or something. I'm sitting there like, "What the fuck is going yeah. on?" My high school fight song was OK Oklahoma." Nice. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought it was kind of dumb for that to be the fight song, and like I I swear our year actually got to pick it because my high school like the first year I was a student the first year it opened I was a Freshman, the first year it opened. Wow. Like, literally, um, except that I, I moved schools for a year. 
and then moved back. Um, I would I was would have been part of the class that spent the first four years there. Wow. But the they gave the band and the band directors like the opportunity to choose the fight song. And like we voted on it and shit. But okay, okay, Oklahoma. The problem was that like all the songs that we got to pick from sucked. So Oh, oh well. Harsh. Yeah. But so I want so there's the last topic that I want to talk to y'all about. Yeah. Well, I wanted to recap. How did we get to where we were talking about? What, um, we were what, talking about favorite apocalypses. Yeah. And that oh, I finally give us yeah. my answer, which is I want to be in the interim between the bombs falling and back on the... Well, no, I want to be... I want to be working in a time when we're back on the surface, but I want to be like a science aide or something underground. Or maybe... Eh, maybe... So why the Enclave and not the Brotherhood of Steel? Because the Brotherhood of Steel... I loved them in Fallout 3. In Fallout 4, my faith was shaken. Because then suddenly they're bigots. Well, that's what they were originally in Fallout, Fallout I know, 2. but it, I like, never Fallout played 3 those was games. The, and even um, Fallout New Vegas. Like, Fallout New Vegas, okay. I think, was the closest to Fallout fair. 1 and 2. And, and you're totally right. And in Fallout New Vegas, I basically treated them the way the game wanted me to treat them, frankly, which is to ignore them. <laughs> Let's be real. Sorry. There are video games sneak in here a lot, Kyle. No, no, no. Um, I get it, I get it. But yeah, okay. Uh, and then to recap to how we got to favorite or preferred post-apocalyptic scenarios came from... Why hasn't it happened? Why hasn't it happened? So, and, and Doug was discussing, well, maybe the reason we think about it so much, despite the fact it never happens, is because we, we kind of oh, want yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. We kind of yeah. like the idea. That's true. I want to talk to you all about this. Because I think it's one of the underlying reasons why we might fear and therefore constantly think about the end of our civilization is how invested we are in it. I discussed a little bit earlier about how, for me at least, and I included Doug maybe unfairly, that we might be just completely screwed top to bottom if the if the civilization came to an end because lawyering sort of runs out the window the second you get rid of I mean, I was a Boy Scout, so I have some survival. All right, maybe uh, you're good to go. But I have no no marketable skills over here in this category because learning how to equitably handle disputes between parties, not so interesting when people can realize, wait, I can just kill that guy without any any repercussions. So this is the question I want to ask of you both. In terms of how invested people in the modern age are in the fact that we continue to have a modern age, what about our modern selves as a species could even carry over usefully into an age without civilization? I would love to just put one point forward on this, which is, I think, not a whole lot, simply because of the significant pressure we constantly feel to be extremely specialized. The more specialized you are, especially in a white-collar job, the less relevance you are going to have in any post-apocalyptic scenario. Your accounting, your MPA in accounting from UT, the number one accounting school in the in the world, in the world, is going to hold very little weight when you're dealing with numbers between you know one and three digits, and we're talking about wheat yields. It's not going to matter significantly. You're right. I mean, specialization is going to mean that your job, you specialized in in twenty something, seventeen, twenty one hundred something. 
Yeah. You do not have very many real, tangible, physical, useful skills. So in the 50s or 60s, Heinlein made a point on this in his um, oh, Starship Heinlein. Troopers book. <gasps> ah. And uh, he was he was comparing the U.S. to the Russians, who are the space bugs. This is like my But he was saying book. that humans... Um, humans aren't specialists. You know, the bugs were specialists. Like, they were literally um, born to do a special task. But he said, you know, humans need to, and I'm paraphrasing here because I cannot rattle this quote (laughs) off the top of my head. But he was saying uh, humans need to know how to cook a meal, change a tire, um, change a diaper, like all these, all these different things to live. You know, humans, humans cannot specialize in one simple task. Um, because like you can't you can't only do one thing as a human. Like you need to know multiple things. You need to know how to drive. I think was that oh was absolutely thing. like to yeah. get through your daily life. Yeah, yes, to get through absolutely. your daily life. Like your special specialization um, exists and it doesn't exist in a sense. Well, and, okay. and you just yeah. set up a really useful. By the way, Kyle, I really enjoy your point. I'm I'm I really agree with it. I'm interested in it. But I, I do think that Doug just set up an interesting dichotomy between what is merely a holdover from maybe a less civilized human uh, uh, phenotype, you could almost call it. I know I'm using that wrong, but I think you, you kind of get what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Versus what does civilization do for us that lasts after civilization False. And do you want my answer on that? Absolutely. Um, philosophy, number one. I think it. I even think it'd be a step in the right direction, um, objectively speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, we remove society. We we retain philosophers. Um, we get led by philosopher kings. We don't go past a hunter gatherer society, and we're golden. Kyle. Uh, I mean. I think that philosophy would be a, a useful, a, a step in the right direction, holdover, but... Uh, ah, you just called it a holdover. I, I mean... From what? From civilization or from yeah, an earlier... Yeah, no, okay. from civilization. I think it would help accelerate things, potentially, in the right direction. Um, but I, I think the holdovers we have are cultural instead of technological. Um, actually speaking, because I was kind of, it was kind of a joke and kind of a true statement. Mm. Um, like a lot of things I say. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, cause like cultures, cultures ingrained in our society. Like I think we'd have, um, if, if an apocalypse, apocalypse happened, like people would still play, you know, acoustic guitar or something like that until all the acoustic guitars are broken and someone would probably figure out how to fashion one. Like we'd, our, our styles would re- remain, um, even if our technologies don't. So I'd, I'd argue that cultural ideas would remain. Hmm. I just wonder, because the question is really how useful these things become, right? I mean, if it's merely oral well, tradition... This is, this is why I'm, I think we desire the apocalypse, is because we measure everything in terms of usefulness now. And, like, if all we care about is finding food now instead of how our measure of use to society, like, suddenly there's this gigantic burden 
that's relieved off of us. And I think that's what we, why, why we desire an apocalypse. So I definitely, I see your point, but I'm going to argue with the premise that we measure things on usefulness. Who, I mean, I know a large portion of the population who measure things on utility, but that's their, their pleasure and their satisfaction of things. They, they live to make enough so that they can go out and have brunch and do whatever they feel like. And, usefulness doesn't come into play. So here's here's my rhetoric. What do you get paid for? And it's usefulness. Like your job, you get get paid for usefulness. And the reason you get paid is because you need money to live. Absolutely. But if if the conditions under which you're useful don't exist... In the conditions where we don't care about usefulness, we just care about getting food. Like... I mean, all three of us, we have these, like, high intellectual um, pursuits. I wouldn't say jobs right. yet for the two of us. I don't right. know. Do you work or do you use Not study? using my intellectual pursuits, I do not. <laughs> all right. Not yet. But, like, you know, all these things are, like, they're, they're ridiculous in the terms of survival. Yeah. But they're literally totally. just to make society better. Um, to some to some extent, Based like, on the wait, wait, society currently I would say has. that there is a market for our skills. Yeah, but that market is it. It makes society like lawyers are the lubricant to the machine of society. Holy shit! Right, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> My God, blueprint. <laughs> lawyers are the lubricant to the machine of society. Did I get that right? Yes. Do you agree? Holy shit! That's kind of true. Wait, like we keep the machine running. I feel like that's accurate. We are lubricant at times. We are at least as often random wrenches thrown into the machinery (laughs) of society. I think at least as often we keep the we keep law the machine of law running. Right? Like it wouldn't. We certainly are the cogs of that machine. I. Y'all are We're not always, the cogs. Police are the cogs. We're the lubricant. You guys oh, are God. always involved in the measure of the coefficient of friction in society. We are between involved. the cogs. You are you are in that coefficient. Okay, of friction. I will agree with that. We are involved. Whether it's lubricant or friction, you're involved. We are either lube. We are either lube or wrenches. <laughs> I will agree with that statement because here's the right. thing: every single time you have a lawyer who is a lubricant. You will have at least one lawyer who is being a wrench in the opposite direction. You have to be better lubricant, I guess. <laughs> All lawyers want to be lubricant. At least half yeah. are wrenches. I mean, the the judge is the auto mechanic then that decides <laughs> if it's a lubricant or a wrench. That's a good analogy. I like that. Okay. I mean, the problem with that analogy is, in under normal circumstances, an auto an auto mechanic could determine what is a wrench and what is lubricant pretty clearly. Well, yeah, an auto mechanic would arguably from the start. arguably judges are pretty good at determining that too. Probably less accurate than a yeah. machine determining. You this know what? Is I think we can blame all of this on legal procedure in general. Right? It's not. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I know. What but I'm we saying... have to take we have to take responsibility. Anyways, for but for, from the analogy, like that is our usefulness. To society, like we don't, we don't grow food, um, we don't hunt, but what we don't gather, no. But what we do is we we amplify the ability of others to do that, um, and we like that's honestly, yeah, it feels more them. like we skim off the top of human misery most of the time, <laughs> right? I'm but what we, yeah, <laughs> but but what we do, like, yeah, we're we're multiplicative factors. 
Um, force multipliers? Yeah, which is to say, like, farmers farmers grow a number, right? Or whatever, and, and we're, the rest of society is a force multiplicator. Um, we, we make farmers better at what they do. I... Because we're service professionals? No, because, like... Society society lives on bread. Um, yes. Right, which is to say that, like, farmers are the base of society. Um, essentially, all, all we do as humans is eat, if you think about or it. Or like, consume. consume. Yeah, it's All consume. we do is consume. Right, so... We try to find some market that will yeah. accept our skills. Well, we produce. So what we do is we, we make our base of consumption, and this is the basis of civilization, which is farming and et cetera, is we, yeah. make, we make our base of consumption large enough that we have people like one farmer can provide enough food for more than one person. Yeah. And then those other people can do jobs that make the farmer's life easier. And then, yeah. and then civilization grows like that and you get people defending the farmers, which is military. You get um, people building roads. Uh, you get people trading for the farmer. Um, like I mean, all these as as the kind of person I am, arguable, yeah. as the kind of person I am, I do respect and appreciate the fullness and boldness of the argument. I just it, it kind of feels a little too big. I don't know how much lawyers are really. I mean, I respect that we are service professionals and that we do force multiply individuals and that we help them to get what quote unquote they deserve. But I don't know if. All of that amounts to much more than any other service profession. Well, uh, we're just we're just so high level that it's hard to see the connections. Like you have to you have to think about it and track it all the way down. Um, and I haven't done that, but I could do it. Okay. I don't. I don't feel like taking up the time on this podcast. Well, speaking of time on this podcast, it's probably about time for final thoughts. And because of how. How much we've talked about all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I'll try to. I'll try to clarify down to a specific thing to talk about. So, what do you have to say, both of you, about man's obsession with the brink of oblivion? Well, I'll, I'll start this off, and I'm going to say what I said earlier, is that we want it. Um, and, and this is just going to summarize our, our earlier discussion, because that didn't end well. But we want it because, like, because we have so many people in society, everyone needs to have a use. Like, everyone needs to be a cog in the machine, or something else, or a lubricant, or something else that makes the machine run. Um, because, like... It, it's not fulfilling to a lot of people, or it adds to anxiety. Like, anxiety is kind of a major human problem. Absolutely. Abs yeah, and I'd, I'd say that in a hunter-gatherer society, um, anxiety doesn't exist at the level that we have it now. Because no one's, no one's worried. Like, right now, I'm anxious about this paper I have to write about strategies for wind developers. Like, that is a ridiculous thing to be anxious about. You know, I should be anxious about whether or not I get food in yeah. the morning. But the thing is, like, yeah, or I get killed while I'm sleeping. By a predator. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, is that the answer to those two questions, whether 
I get the food or whether I have shelter is so tied to like how well I do in my career um, that I have to do this paper and get a good grade so that I could get a good job and yada, yada, yada. There's all these extraneous steps. And if we have an apocalypse, all those extraneous steps are gone and it's simply getting food, making, finding shelter and um, finding, you know, having children. Um, so I think, I think simplification, I think that's the major desire for, um, an apocalypse. And that's why I think that secretly we all want one. Okay. Kyle? No, I, I definitely agree with the, um, I think that secretly, yeah, a lot of people would find an apocalypse somehow refreshing. It would remove a lot of the white noise that we find in our daily lives, um, I don't know what unique thoughts I have to add on people's obsession with a post with, with an apocalypse. Um, I think it's simply that it's an entertaining possibility because we do find life very monotonous and dull very frequently. Um, well, let me let me pose this. I think the answer might be something even larger, something even more spanning of the time, generations, even eons of our species. I think one of the reasons we have been so successful as a species is the very reason that we concern ourselves on a day-to-day basis with not just our own doom, our own personal, individual doom, and avoiding that or even familial doom, or even tribal or national doom. But the fact that we concern ourselves with such existential problems that go beyond the death of the species, but even just the death of what we consider normal life in our species. We work day to day, as Kyle, you said earlier, maybe even certain people have the entire job of working day to day to make sure that as a species, we not only continue to exist, but that we continue to exist at the level of progress, advancement, and comfort that we are familiar with and rely upon. And that is maybe one of the most ringing endorsements of our entire species, that we are not content to merely exist. We demand to consider all the possibilities in ensuring that we continue to exist at the best we can. Thank you all so much for listening in for our sixth episode of Sophist Symposium. We were so happy and proud to bring you our special guest for the night, Kyle, and we hope that he might be around for a future episode. As you know, we are on iTunes, and we hope to continue bringing you this content, maybe not every week, but on a reasonably... Uh, usual basis. Have a good night, and we hope that you'll listen again soon.